Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Wednesday, October the 27th. And today, you guys are in for a real treat. Uh, two of my favorite people in the whole wide world in the medical community are on the call with me today. Dr. Richard Bartlett uh, is phoning in today from West Texas. And uh, he's joining me in the studio today with my good friend, Scott Miller, who runs Miller Pediatrics here in the great state of Washington. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So a lot's happening, uh, obviously, in the news and as it pertains to COVID and all of the uh, the mandates, the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, and why here over and over again that uh, people are discouraged and frustrated. And so uh, I thought, who better to encourage them than to bring on uh, two men who are just knee-deep in the hoopla, as they like to say, here in the great state of Washington with regard to COVID-19. Months and months ago, I interviewed uh, Dr. Richard Bartlett, who's been at the front lines of this. He was the one who turned me on to budesonide, and we did a couple of podcasts on why that works and why it's such a good idea for us to uh, to start using it uh, in the treatment of COVID-19. And then uh more recently, I started working with uh, Scott Miller, who runs uh, Miller Pediatrics here in Washington State, and they've got some really interesting perspectives. So uh, welcome, gentlemen, to the show. What do you say? Because these are questions that are coming into my show now um, on the regular to the person who has already had COVID and they already they're testing for the antibody. They clearly have had they have immunity now to the to the disease and their employer or their president is mandating that they get a vaccine. Is there inherent risk to this? What do you say to that person? I mean, I, I wish I had thought of this earlier, but I could pull up off of my uh, laptop right now dozens and dozens and dozens of emails that are coming in from people who are saying, I've already had COVID. I don't understand why they're forcing this vaccine. Is there inherent risk to this? Should people be worried about it? Or do you say, nah, it doesn't really matter? Uh, Dr. Bartlett, what's your what's your view on that right now with the information that we have? Well, the Finnish Institute of Health uh, just uh, uh, talked about a study showing evidence of uh, lasting durable immunity for over a year now, if someone's recovered. That's called natural immunity. That causes herd immunity. And that, that is how we got through the H1N1 pandemic, a real pandemic that was highly contagious, was killing tens of thousands of Americans. And we made it through it with uh, natural immunity leading to herd immunity, protecting the community without one vaccine. Uh, of course, this has been a very political uh, issue. Co- COVID has been a very political issue on everything, every level. Uh, some things that should be obvious are still controversial. Uh, but... Uh, uh, people should be encouraged if they've recovered from COVID. There is such a thing as natural immunity. It still exists. Uh, Washington University School of Medicine uh, in St. Louis uh, ha- was drawing blood on uh, patients who recovered from mild COVID cases and showed lasting dur- durable immunity for over a year, antibody levels. So that's in the United States. And then there's the Finnish Institute confirming it. So you, when you start to see patterns, uh, the, uh, that should encourage people. Now, um, what people do uh, politically, uh, independent of the science, I just told you the science, uh, but uh, I can tell you that, uh, you know, uh, pendulums swing this way, but then they can swing back. And so uh, the ship can be righted. Um, I, I, I think people should uh, vote their conscience. I think people should pray. I, uh, those things, that's how you change uh, things. And uh, they should uh, stand 
their ground uh, on their moral conscience and compass. Uh, how, but uh, it should always be for the best of of uh, the community. And looking at the science is not a bad idea. The science shows lasting durable immunity. I, I believe that uh, political things change all the time. And uh, we should be praying for um, things to, to improve. Uh, uh, I, I know there are many people, I think I just saw New York had a big march across the Brooklyn Bridge with uh, one report said approximately 50,000. I wasn't there, so I can't tell you, but they were uh, uh, New York firefighters, police, um, ambulance, uh, paramedics, uh, uh, people that worked uh, with sanitation, um, there were city employees that were uh, marching because they did not want to take the vaccine, the, the mandate. And uh, they've looked, everybody should look at the risk and the benefit of every treatment option and weigh that risk and benefit. It should be an individualized decision. People should be treated as individuals in the United States. And uh, it, the, the right answer is not the same for everybody. Everybody needs to be treated as an individual. We don't paint every, everything with a broad brush. We we don't say one size fits all. That's that's what happens in communist countries. But this is the United States of America. Thank God we can have peaceful communities. Pray for our leadership. Uh, there is a God who's sovereign. We are one nation under God. United we stand. We don't want division. We don't promote division. We promote unity and peace. And so we go for prayer. We follow the science. And uh, there is evidence of uh, great progress and great hope. So uh, people should not give up. They should not feel hopeless. Uh, we are not hopeless or helpless. Things can change for the better. We are having a great deal of people coming to Texas. I will say that yeah. uh, from other states. <laughs> they're coming from Washington. Uh, That's where they're coming from. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, um, but you know, God, God loves everyone. And so I'm praying for everybody, no matter their political affiliation or, or whatever. I, I, I know that people's minds can change all the time. The Bible's full of that. And, uh, and uh, so we should seek peace and pursue it. We should only go with peaceful means. We should ne- well, always be constructive, never destructive, um, and uh, promote unity. Um, we should treat everyone with respect. And so, um, you know, in a moment, pe- sometimes people do things that are silly, um, foolish even. But uh, I love people. We should not mock. Uh, we sh- our, poli- our desire should be to help everyone, whether they're our friend or our foe. Uh, in a moment, that can change. People talk, and then they change their minds. Mm, so that's really true. Let's seek peace. Yeah, yeah, you know, in one minute, people can be on two sides of a debate, but the bottom line is everybody's priceless, and uh, we need to treat everyone with respect. And uh, it's not over yet. Uh, God is still on His throne, um, and we we need to pray, 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 pray for each other, support each other. Um, it's not over yet. God is still on His throne. I've I've had many people contact me to advocate for a loved one in the hospital and you know there's quite a few of them that have a do not intubate and basically they're just following the you know everything i hear from the intensivists or pulmonologists is we're following the science so they have them on you know supplemental oxygen six milligrams of dexamethasone and you know lovenox and very very frequently that's it and you know, if they if they continue to decompensate, they'll they tell the family, well, there's nothing more we can do, so we'll make them comfortable until they pass. <clears throat> and and so I've I've asked many times, why 
you know, why can you not use budesonide? What's the harm in in changing dexamethasone? I've I've found, and again, this is just anecdotally for me, but a lot of value in in doing higher dose methylprednisolone or just higher dose steroid. Um, but they'll say, well, we don't have the data or the data we have, and I offer to send it. Like if I send it to you, if I share you data, then the next response is typically, I don't have the time, and. This is this is ubiquitously happening in the hospitals that I've been asked to, to advocate for, or the doctor simply won't get on the phone and talk to the family. Um, and, and it's, I, I consider it a crisis where we are. Um, there are young, otherwise healthy people dying in the hospital from, you know, COVID, but, you know, they do an x-ray and they've got bilateral consolidation, you know, day 17, 18, they test negative for COVID, but they won't treat the pneumonia. Um, and you know, for me, it's been it's been hard because I get to know these families and we're advocating advocating for them. And you know, I get a text three days later, you know that you know that their husband passed, that their their wife passed, and I'm just I don't know I don't know what to do. Never, never, never give up. And um, uh, I'm going to give you some uh, some some facts. Um, there is a lady, uh, uh, there's a senator in the Republic, in the state of Georgia, a 12-year senator, retired senator, and his wife was on the ventilator for 34 days. Uh, of course, many people are being told uh, it's hopeless after day 10 on the ventilator. She was on the ventilator for 34 days, told that she could not get off the ventilator. But the bottom line is um, she got off the ventilator on day 34. If they would have given up on day 33, um, she wouldn't be here, but it was a beautiful thing to hear uh, Phyllis's voice on the phone from Georgia to Texas. Praise God that we're we're not helpless. We're not hopeless. I, I know of cases where people have been on the ventilator, 100% oxygen, uh, FiO2 of 100. That's as high as you can crank it up on a PIPA 16, high pressure of the ventilator, uh, oxygen saturation 80% on death's door. And when budesonide was started, in one week off the ventilator, two weeks home with the family, able to celebrate Thanksgiving, Christmas, and a wedding anniversary, birthdays, um, and uh, be with the family. Praise God. It's not over until God says it's over. And uh, it says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And, and in this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and I give you my peace. And really, we need to seek peace. But uh, when someone is in the hospital on a ventilator, they are an ARDS patient. Acute respiratory distress syndrome. And that's the way to frame the facts. Because the facts are, if you have ARDS, there is evidence that the NIH database that budesonide one milligram nebulizer treatments are effective. And uh, this has been very well studied. A recent study in from 2017 shows that budesonide one milligram nebulizer treatments are very effective for patients on a ventilator in the ICU. That would be late disease. And so... Um, in the beginning, COVID, but later, if, even if you tried to culture uh, a viral culture and grow COVID virus, you wouldn't be able to because we know that this virus is uh, self-limiting at one point. Um, uh, we expect uh, the Texas Department of Health says if you uh, 10 days after you've had symptoms and tested positive, if you're symptom free, you can go back to the community, back to work, back to school, back to daycare, and you don't even have to be retested because we know that's the pattern with the virus. But after that, it triggers the cytokine storm and ARDS. And so 
you need to frame uh, your discussions with ARDS. The doctors need to be asked, does this patient have ARDS? If they do, then that uh, opens the that that opens up opportunities for um, tools to be used that many times have not been used, and so including budesonide. And but I can tell you from coast to coast, I know of critical care doctors and ICUs that have um, decided to uh, try budesonide uh, for ARDS, and and we are seeing people like uh, the the patient that was on the ventilator for 34 days come home, and a patient on 100% oxygen and a PEPA 16 come home. And so don't give up. Um, uh, it's not over till God says it's over. If someone's breathing, there's still hope. And uh, uh, I, I do see the there are definite patterns, patterns that are not successful, and there are patterns that are successful. So we want to repeat the successes and save lives, no matter who they are. Uh, all people are priceless. The, well, the hospitals won't do it. I have I have many pulmonologists that say they don't want to nebulize. We don't want to nebulize COVID. Is there... Well, you start with a question. There are negative pressure isolation rooms in every floor in every hospital. Secondly, um, if someone's on the ventilator, that's a closed system. It cannot spread. And so they can do nebulizer treatments through the ventilator, of course. That's why we have the study from 2017 that's at the NIH database uh, using budesonide nebulizer treatments for um, ARDS. Um, and so you can use nebulizer treatments for a closed system safely. Uh, finally, um, uh, but you start with uh, uh, patients' rights. Patients still have rights, and one of the patient rights is you can fire the patient or fire the doctor. Any doctor can be fired by a patient. Secondly, um, if there's if it turns adversarial and not productive. Secondly, uh, patients have the right to ask for an ethics committee consult in every hospital, and uh, that gets uh, and then that brings uh, the science to bear. And so. One of the things that can be asked is, does my loved one have ARDS? That's a good question. If someone has ARDS and that's acknowledged, then the next thing is um, we are now talking about new treatment uh, options because eudesonide nebulizer treatments are documented at the dose of one milligram at the NIH database for ARDS. And so uh, patients have the right to um, ask, demand an ethics committee consult for, with the hospital. They call the nurse's station saying, uh, I demand an ethics committee consult immediately. And then you have a meeting of the minds that's required by the hospital, by the hospital rules. And uh, you can present these questions and you can talk about treatment options. And then the, the doctor's responsibility, according to the AAD and the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics, is to present every treatment option and the risk and benefit of every treatment option. The patient's responsibility is to weigh the risk and benefit of treatment options and to choose a treatment option. And we see this all the time with cancer, where people are offered chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery, and the patient weighs the risk and benefits and the patient chooses which route to go. Uh, this is no different. Those patient rights still stand. So um, I, I, I encourage people to uh, not give up and not to uh, be victims. Uh, you do have patient rights in the United States. Uh, including if it, if it becomes adversarial, uh, you can 
you can fire a doctor and it's the hospital's responsibility to provide a new doctor. I think this is so good because what you're doing is you are empowering the patient and the family of the patient. Because I think uh, what Scott is saying, and I've seen it too here over and over again, we started calling some of the hospitals here at the Roach Motel because people are coming in, but they're not coming out. And we're not seeing a lot of patient advocacy happening because because uh, families are being told, sorry, they've been on the ventilator for 17 days. This is pretty much it. And I've heard these stories over and over and over again. And what you're saying I think is bringing so much hope because you're saying don't give up. Don't give up. You know, you don't have to be forced to take somebody off a ventilator. You can uh, demand an ethics committee consult. You can say, hey, we want to look at we want to look at other treatment options. You can fire your doctor, uh, you know, and I think part of the reason why this has hurt so badly around the country, not just in Washington state, is because and this happened when my when my mother-in-law had a heart attack at the beginning of covid uh, I was told you can't go in the hospital, so therefore you can't advocate for her, and so it's made that it's made that patient advocacy harder. Yeah, definitely made it more difficult. But what you're saying is, don't give up, and I think that's encouraging. Uh, Scott, what are you what are you looking? You're well. No, I I agree. It's I I think, I mean, I was talking to Heidi about this, but I was on the phone two nights ago, all night, uh, literally. I mean, well, from ten to I, I fell asleep. And, uh, and a nurse actually came over to my house and walked in and woke me up because it was her uncle in, in Iowa. And we had been talking with the nurse trying to get a hold of the, on, the, the on-call doctor. Um, they had to do not intubate on, on him. And he was decompensating and they weren't doing anything at all. They were just staying with the, the protocol. And we just, I mean, everything was polite. We just kept asking, you know, can... Can we do this? Can we actually? Can we talk to the doctor? And that never happened. So it wasn't until about five in the morning, and after a couple hours of going around and around, they we talked with the pulmonologist for close to fifty minutes, and he said that they he wouldn't risk doing using budesonide because he didn't want to nebulize COVID, and they didn't want to move them to a you know just it was just resistance across the board, and in Washington State, I've advocated for patients and at one of the local hospitals I got basically a well a certified letter from the uh, medical director going to cease and desist um, they're following CDC guidelines I am giving patients and families false information and that's one of the complaints on my license is that um, I'm not complying with the CDC recommendations and so they just shut it down for you know well, they're getting they're I'm going to say that yeah, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, the CDC changes the protocol. The, the protocol is not set in stone. It has been adjusted. And, and using dexamethasone was based on uh, a trial that came out of uh, Oxford University, of all places, uh, using dexamethasone. And that was really a conglomerate of dexamethasone and solumedrol and other IV steroids being used. And it increased survival by 20% in some circumstances, 33% in other circumstances. It wasn't a, a home run, but at least it was hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that was the beginning of hope. But we have more information now. And I, and I think, uh, bottom line, uh, uh, I'm not against um, CDC protocols and stuff like that. I, I'm for um, what makes sense, all of the science. But the, the science is um, uh, very encouraging. Um, and if you uh, frame the discussion with uh, – ARDS, mm-hmm. that that's, uh, if you uh, can uh, can do that, uh, a couple of options are, number one, demand a retest of COVID, the COVID retest. 
if the person tests negative, they're negative. They shouldn't be in the COVID ward anymore if they're negative. And so that changes everything. You can't spread COVID if you're COVID negative. The second thing is um, uh, there, are ne- uh, there are negative pressure isolation rooms required in every hospital on every floor in the United States. And that's not a new thing. That's been that way for 20 years at least. So um, that those are designed for this very situation where you can still provide life-saving care to patients. And if they have ARDS, if they're short on, if they're short of breath, their oxygen's low, they have the, the criteria of ARDS, they have ARDS. And so that, uh, that opens the door for other treatment options. That is a strategy that is saving lives. Um, uh, the senator's wife on the ventilator 34 days and home alive now recovering, praise God. Um, We've seen other amazing experiences. So uh, I want people to know this is happening right now. There are good things happening too. Bad things happen, but good things can happen too. And we need to help each other, encourage each uh, each other and follow the science. Yeah. And I, I would say too, you know, as I'm listening to, to you having, uh, you know, been on the front lines of this and Scott here on the front lines in Washington state, it definitely, the, the sad thing to me about this is it really has been politicized, right? I mean, the, the honest answer is, uh, people have lost faith in the CDC. They've lost faith in these guidelines. One day it was, it was masks don't help. And the next day it was, Hey, three masks. And you know, if three masks is good, then maybe four masks is better. So people are confused. And so what we're, we're seeing now, and when you say that the science, follow the science, we know that the real science changes. It, you know, we, we watch the data, the data comes in, we make decisions as we move along, we discover new things, and so we change the protocol. And what you've discovered there, and I know uh, what Scott has discovered here in treating patients uh, in Washington State, is that there are treatment avail- there are treatment options now. There are early intervention. People need to know that this is not a death sentence. I know that the fear, and, uh, and uh, Dr. Bartlett, you and I talked about this months ago fear has made this so much harder and i think what right. i hear you I'm saying is people don't fear. need to be in I'm fear against terror. Yeah. i'm against terror and fear and uh, i'm for peace only and uh, we have peaceful winning strategies and we want to help everyone i don't care you know when you talk about politics i don't care what color uh whether they're blue or red or purple or whatever i am for all people and uh, that's that's the way healthcare should be mm-hmm. um and that's where i am uh, first do no harm and then second alleviate human suffering and when people if they're uh, a politician who thinks one way but their life is saved with early effective treatment that changes their mind mm-hmm. and uh um so we just uh, just Stand your ground, uh, vote your conscience, pray for those that are in authority of hospitals and uh, for their good, for uh, God to direct them. Our our book, the Bible, is full of stories of people who thought one way and, and then in the middle of the night, uh, they had an aha moment and they had a winning idea that came to them. And uh, so uh, uh, whether they were good or bad or this or that, uh, they, you know, back then they didn't have elephants and donkeys and things. Uh, so uh, it's all about people mm-hmm. and uh, and praying does help. Mm-hmm. Prayer matters. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show today. Uh, Dr. Bartlett, what was the website we talked? It's, it's budesonideworks, right, .com? So uh, there is a third-party website called budesonideworks.com. has providers tab, validation tabs, lots of science. Um, there's also – there. that's uh, – providers in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., and those are telemedicine services. But again, that's not a substitute. If you have a doctor-patient relationship and 
and you have a primary care doctor that you love and loves you and has your best interests at heart, that's the place to start. That's the place to stay if they if they're taking care of you. Yeah. Um, and so we never want to minimize that. Uh, uh, thank God for uh, uh, being in the United States. God bless America. God bless Washington State. God God bless Texas. And uh, you know it's not over yet. We need to support each other, help each other, be a blessing. Uh, everyone needs to even in these difficult times. Uh, there are uh, there are rays of hope that are increasing. And we're seeing uh, successes multiply right now. I'm telling you uh, what's happening in Florida and Texas with the success is spreading uh, and uh, being promoted across the country. So just hang on. Don't give up. Pray for each other. Yeah, and we have, I mean, just what Heidi's done the last couple of months gives me so much hope. She's just, she's talking about fear. And, you know, one of the things that I find that so many of these patients have. I mean, it's fear and anxiety and just talking to them and letting them know that, that they're not alone. I mean, just for what our little team does. I mean, we have people that go over there if they can't, I do, and we pray with them. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. when they know that, that there are treatments, you know, they've been, you know, indoctrinated with everything they're seeing on the TV. And the first thing is I tell them you're going to be okay. Yeah. I think that's so important. We're here. Like you have my, this is my cell. You can call me anytime. Like any time, you are not alone in this. We're going to take care of you, and and it's going to be okay. And just you can hear the relief. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like this, this almost instant. Like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I am. I'm going to be okay. And I'm like, yes, you are. Yeah. And Heidi's just been championing. She's just been an awesome voice for just talking with community members and churches and just getting the, this information out. And it's been amazing what she's doing to our just for our community and. Yeah, you know, and, and there's been a lot of heartache and a lot of loss, but the uh, bottom line is I'm praying for hospital administrators, hospital board members in every hospital that God could uh, give them direction so we can live quiet, peaceful, healthy lives, have peaceful, healthy communities. And so things can change. Uh, don't stop praying for the good for everyone. Pray for good for hospital administrators and hospital board members, for the doctors, the nurses. They're under great pressure. And uh, the therapists, the uh, the phlebotomists, the people that clean the hospital, everybody's critical. And so we need to support each other, help each other, never uh, hurt. Even words are hurtful. So we need to be careful that our words are not hurtful even and uh, and speak life. But uh, there is there is a way forward and the way forward is becoming brighter and brighter like the noonday. It's uh, it's hopeful. We're seeing uh, if someone can come off the ventilator after 34 days, that's an elderly lady in Georgia. Uh, then anybody can come off the ventilator. And if someone could be on 100% oxygen and a PEEP of 16, there's still hope if you're breathing, if your loved one's breathing. So we can't give up. We have to pray and uh, and uh, and and help each other, yeah. help our neighbor. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's been encouraging to have this conversation and just to uh, remind people, because there are, there are going to be tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of people that hear this, and we want them to know that there is hope. Don't give up. Don't stop advocating. Don't stop advocating for your loved ones. And uh, and don't give up. I love that. And uh, so we will link back to uh, Budesonide Works and some of these other treatments, and also to that study that is being conducted now uh, on the effectiveness of ivermectin. So this is all good information. 
information, and it's coming at a good time. Dr. Richard Bartlett, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. And uh, Scott Miller, who's a wonderful uh, friend of mine and uh, practicing, or you actually, you're on, you're on hold right now at Miller Pediatrics. So we're going to continue to pray about that. We've got a lot to pray about, but we know that God is in control and I see him moving his people all over the country. So that is encouraging. Yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real honor to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, thank Bye-bye. you for your time. All right, you guys, for more information, go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast, and you can download the show notes there today. Thanks for listening to everybody, and I will see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.